Welcome to Tax Strategy Digest, where we explore the fascinating world of finance. Join us as we dive into the stories, insights, and experiences of experts, thought leaders, and everyday people who are making a difference in this field. Through engaging conversations and thought-provoking discussions, we'll take a deep dive into the latest research, trends, and innovations shaping finance. So sit back, relax, and get ready to learn something new on this exciting journey with us. Today, our guest is Yona Weiss, who is a powerhouse with property owners tax savings as a business director at Madison Specs, a national cost segregation leader. He has assisted clients in saving hundreds of millions of dollars on taxes through cost segregation. He has a background in teaching and a passion for real estate and helping others. He's a real estate investor and the host of the top podcast, Weiss Advice. Yona, great to have you. Pleasure to be here, Paul. Thanks for having me on the show. Definitely. And um, those following you on LinkedIn or, or follow your podcast, they probably do know a little bit about you. Um, but if you don't mind, would you like to maybe share just a little bit about your background and, and sort of your pivot from teaching uh, over to real estate? Absolutely. It was many, many, many years ago. Uh, I was actually yeah a teacher for about 15 years. And at a certain point in time, I realized that Although I love teaching, I love the passion for helping others, the pay was not great. And as my family grew, it just it was not feasible to uh, to keep it up. I, I really needed to to at least find some other side hustle or something that else, uh, a different you know kind of career path at least temporarily. And I reached out to a bunch of friends and acquaintances, and uh, real estate kept coming up in conversation. I really knew nothing about real estate beforehand, but was fascinated that. So many acquaintances and friends that I had had been involved in real estate for in some way or another that I I have, I knew nothing about basically, uh, and I just tried it out really on a whim, seeing okay I had really nothing to lose. Uh, I and long story short, I spent about this goes back eight years or so, but spent uh, about close to a year doing uh, commercial mortgages, um, underwriting, and um, you know what have you, just doing that process of originating loans and learning about commercial real estate and doing residential brokerage for a little while until I was introduced to this company, really because I was open to opportunities. And I think that's really the lesson is I was always and still am really open to opportunities. I'm not a person who's committed to say, okay, this is my career choice and this is what I have to do forever. If something comes up and it seems you know, like a legitimate idea and with good people, I'm open to exploring it. And so that's what happened. I was introduced to this company, Madison Commercial Real Estate, Madison Specs, the biggest national cost segregation company. I knew nothing about cost segregation at the time, to be honest, but I knew a lot about real estate having been in for, you know, for about, uh, you know, two, three years being involved and wanted to continue growing in the space. And I thought this was a great opportunity to work with a very, you know, highly reputable company and just surround myself with good people. And so I took the opportunity and shortly became an expert in cost segregation. And you might think to yourself, well, how do you become an expert in such a short amount of time? The truth of the matter is at the very beginning, I was heavily relying on the CPAs and the team at Madison who are really the experts just to learn everything I could from them. But because of my teaching abilities and really you know my passion was that I have this kind of superpower if you will that I can learn something really quickly and then 
give it over in a way that is simple and for most people to understand. And so I just kind of used that skill and started teaching. And that's really what I've been doing to this day. Awesome. And for anybody who's watching and they want to pivot to real estate, what would be a piece of advice you would give them? You know, pivoting to anything is difficult, but two things I think are really, really important. Number one, never stop learning. There's so much to learn out there. And the more you learn, the more you realize how little you actually know. And so you have to have that humility to know that I'm never, you know, especially when we're young, we think that we know everything and we know so much when in truth, there's so much beyond. So surround yourself with people that are much smarter than you. You know, they say like cliche, you know, never be the smartest person in the room, but you really do want to surround yourself with people who are more experienced than you. And especially when you're young, the best way to pivot is to apprentice or intern, if you will, someone who is much more successful. If you can do that in some way or another, connect with them, see if you can add value to them, uh, help them in some way in exchange for learning just side by side uh, from them. Because that's, in my experience, is the best way to learn is literally just spending time with people who have the experience that I want to get. Awesome. And how long did, is that something you did? And if so, how long did you, uh, you do that for? I did. So I spent, you know, my very beginning when I started out in the commercial mortgages, I spent about nine months just side by side with a good friend of mine who took me under his wing. And I literally was in his office like three, four days a week, just, just hanging out with just doing what he was doing. You know, he's like, okay, we got, we just got this, uh, you know, this deal, this client, he wants us to find a refinance for these five, you know, Walmarts that he owns. And, you know, we got to start calling banks. Okay, so let's do it. So we start calling banks. And I was just learning from him. So that was that the on the residential brokerage side, I ended up partnering with or working for and then ended up partnering with a guy who had uh, was very successful in the residential brokerage side, uh, had had made, you know, millions of dollars in just a couple of years of doing it really young guy he was like 23 at the time was just very successful. So he was 10 years, you know, or more younger than me, but I felt like he was much more experienced in this thing that that I knew nothing about. And so I ended up sitting with him and just riding along with him and and that I learned a tremendous amount and then with the consolidation I sat with the CPAs and the you know the owners of the company and the the ones who had been running it for, you know, a decade prior to me joining and just asked them everything that I wanted to learn and see what they were doing. And that's that's what I did. So to me, that's how you fast track. Uh, that's been my experience. And I think when I ask this question to people on my podcast as well, who are very, very successful, typically they also say, you know, get a mentor, get someone who has done it before you and see if you can fast track your experience also. I love it. And um, I guess I'll just segue now into the cost segregation. What what is cost segregation and uh, and maybe in its most simple form in the most simple form cost segregation is a fancy name or a weird name depending on how you look at it for accelerated depreciation okay so anytime you buy a property besides for your primary residence you are able to take a tax deduction called depreciation that deduction it's from your income taxes it's essentially taking the property value at the time of purchase and subtracting a small amount for land, which does not depreciate, and allows you to take a equal amount over a 27 and a half 
year period or a 39 year period, depending if it's residential or commercial. Depreciation essentially is a, a phantom deduction. What I mean by that is that it's not actually, don't be confused by the name depreciation. It doesn't mean that your property is actually going down in value as opposed to appreciation does mean that your property is actually going up in value. So depreciation is not the opposite. What it is, it's just a name. It's a borrowed term for a tax deduction based on the principle that things go down in value. So while your property is actually going up in value, potentially, you're allowed to take a tax deduction as if it's going down in value. Okay. And so that's called depreciation. Now, like I said, it's a equal amount of deduction, right? Divided by 27 and a half or 39 years. So you're taking a little bit every single year, about two to 3% of your property value every single year as a tax deduction. Cost segregation is an engineering approach to looking at the property and breaking down the property into its components. And it actually used to be called component depreciation, which makes a lot more sense, right? We're depreciating the individual components. We're saying the building, the structure, that depreciates on a 39-year schedule, right? The walls, roof, doors, windows, right? Infrastructure, that's all structural, but there are components like the you know, flooring or shelving. Uh, let's take an you know, apartment building. You're talking about appliances and furniture, uh, countertops, cabinets, window treatments, fixtures. And like I said, flooring, carpeting, or, or LVP flooring, all those things and many more actually are non-structural and depreciate on a five-year schedule, according to the IRS, meaning you can take the value, once you identify what the value is, of all of those components and depreciate them, meaning take a tax write-off, a tax deduction of the value of those components over a five-year period, a much faster rate. So in a nutshell, what we're doing is front-loading deductions uh, from that pool of potential deductions, we're like taking that and basically using that as a cash flow mechanism to pay less taxes and have more money to invest. Okay, awesome. And you said, wh what type of tax does that come off of? Uh, is it income tax? It is solely income tax, correct. We're not talking about property tax here. It's confusing. People think, oh, it's property, dealing with properties has nothing to do with property tax. Okay, and then um, is that like W-2 wages? Is that um, against rental income? Is, is there any difference for that with the um, cost seg? There's a very big difference. And we're glad you yeah. brought that up because a lot of misconceptions out there. Depreciation is considered a passive deduction and is solely used to offset what's called passive income. Real estate rental income is, is treated differently than your W-2 or Schedule C, 1099 income, which means you can only use these deductions of cost variation, of depreciation to help reduce your passive income or passive gains from the sale of real estate. That being said, there are certain um, exclusions or certain uh, times where you can actually bypass that. And so the most common example is someone that's called a real estate professional someone who is full-time, either they or their spouse are full-time in the real estate business, you're actually not limited to that using those deductions just against your passive. You can actually use it against your W-2 or against your active income as well. There are a couple other um, you know, examples of ways that are exemptions to that, but generally speaking, you cannot use depreciation or cost variation against your W-2, unfortunately. Okay, perfect. I was actually about to ask you if you were a real estate professional. I've heard a little bit about that. Um, what What's the, the main difference? So if you are a real estate professional, um, do you mind just going over that real quick? 
Absolutely. It's very specific rules the IRS has regarding what's called a real estate professional status. So there are two essential rules. Number one, you need to spend more than 50% of your time in the real estate trader business. Uh, and they're specific. I'll tell you what they are, what that means. Yeah. And the second uh, condition is that you need to spend a minimum of 750 hours a year. So again, this is either you or your spouse. So only one person of a married couple needs to fulfill this description in order to use the benefit of the real estate professional. But being that the first rule is that you need to spend more than 50% of your time in this profession, it's essentially possible for that same person to also have a W-2. The IRS cannot imagine a person working more than 40 hours a week. And so therefore, you can't you know, simultaneously claim the real estate professional status and the W-2. There are you know, cases few and far between where there might be some, uh, some ways to do that, but you know, 99% of the time, it's, it's not going to happen. Um, what defines a real estate trader business is specific to rental property. Okay. So the, either you're renting, you know, spending your time renting, uh, operating, managing, uh, construction, right. Buying, renovating, doing anything that's involved in actual real estate or even brokering, uh, acquisitions, anything involved with the purchasing, you know, buying, selling, managing, uh, renovating, et cetera or brokering of property, of real estate. So that's a really important thing. If you're a real estate broker, you automatically qualify as a real estate professional, but you still need to spend a certain amount of time materially participating in rental property. Meaning if you're a broker and you don't have any rental properties, so the real estate professional designation means nothing because if from the tax perspective, because you don't have any depreciation, right, that you can use because you don't have any rental properties, okay? So you need to actually have rental properties in order to benefit from that. But I always tell brokers who automatically qualify as that, you need to buy rental properties. You need to buy real estate because you're automatically qualified. And all you need to do now is just get those rental properties and pay less taxes. Okay, wow. So then you said with with um with investment property so how could this work if someone's watching and maybe they're a syndicator they're a limited partner um where where does that come into play can can they reap the benefits of using a cost seg so if you are a limited partner in a syndication meaning you passively invest alongside general partners who are you know the ones running the syndication everyone who's part of that deal part of that syndication will receive depreciation deductions according to their percentage of ownership. Now, depreciation or cost segregation rather is done on the property level. Meaning if you buy a property, even if you buy it together with a group of, you know, 20 or 50 other people, there's only one cost segregation that's done on the property. And the depreciation deductions are going to be passed through to everyone according to their investments. Got it. Okay. Um, and I think it would be really helpful, and I'm sure you probably do this quite a bit, uh, maybe just walking through a, an example, and we can use super easy numbers as well, you know, maybe like a million or 10 million, just something that's easy to round. Uh, sure. Would you be able to do that so that anybody listening might be able to visualize it a little bit better? Absolutely. So I'll use really simple numbers, like you said, million dollars, but just so our listeners know, it's not limited to million dollar property. And it really is important to, to realize that this can be beneficial even for much smaller properties, even single families, especially if you're a real estate professional or you're running a short term rental business, which is a different exclusion. But even over, you know, two, $300,000 
uh, purchases can be very beneficial. But for all intents and purposes, million dollars, let's say you buy a property, a million dollars, right? Let's keep, make it a multifamily property. Make it simple. Now, if you are in, uh, you know, in California, that's probably a duplex. Right? <laughs> uh, if you're, you know, somewhere out in the middle of nowhere in Alabama, that might be like a 20 or 30 unit property. Uh, so it, it really does depend. But regardless, it's a uh, multifamily property, meaning it's going to be depreciating on a 27 and a half year schedule, because that's how residential properties depreciate. We're going to subtract a certain amount for land, let's say about 20%, because that's a pretty round number. Uh, which is pretty average. I'd say 10 to 20% is pretty average in most places in the country. That leaves us with $800,000 from our million purchase to depreciate. Now, just to reiterate, this depreciation deduction starts over with every new owner, meaning the 27 and a half years resets every time there's a new transaction. So depreciation, again, it's a borrowed term. It's not intrinsic to the property. You might think, oh, this property was built in 1942. Well, guess what? It doesn't matter because you, as the new owner, get to start that clock of 27 years today when you buy the property. Okay. So now we're going to be depreciating that for $800,000 over a 27 and a half year period. Well, that's going to equal approximately $30,000. Okay. We're going to take a $30,000 deduction every single year. And that's great. All is, all is great, especially, you know, it's going to reduce your tax liability by $30,000 every single year. However, if you make more money on that million dollar property than $30,000, well, the remainder is going to be taxed. Okay, P pretty simple. If you're only making $30,000, that's great. You're, you're going to make that money tax-free because it's going to be wiped away from the depreciation deduction. What if you do a cost segregation study and we're able to take 25% of the total value of that property over uh, or of that $800,000, we're going to be able to find 25% is actually going to go into faster depreciation categories over, like I mentioned before, the five-year property, which is like personal property, uh, furniture, fixtures, appliances, et cetera. But there's also another category, which is called 15-year property, which is land improvements, things that are outside the property. If you have a multifamily, you're going to have a driveway. That's pavement, concrete. You're going to have maybe a sidewalk. Maybe you have a swimming pool in the back. That's concrete. That's called land improvements. You'll have some landscaping, fencing, all of that. The value of those components, again, are going to depreciate faster. So 25% total of that 800000 gives you $200,000 of depreciation deductions, which you can take over those faster five and 15-year periods. Now that's going to get you essentially being doubling or tripling your tax deduction over those first five years. I mean, that's that's pretty pretty huge. And that's where it's going to be beneficial, again, for someone who is a real estate professional and or has other passive losses or passive gains, et cetera, that can use this deduction. So again, it's, uh, it's, it's really a huge benefit to help pull from those potential deductions. And again, the remaining 75% is still the remaining $600,000 of that depreciation is still going to be spread out equally over the remaining years, which means you're still going to get tax deductions every single year. You're just going to get relatively less from that property. Got it. Okay. That, that was perfect. And then you mentioned at the beginning a little bit about um, short-term rental properties. So something like Airbnb, I'm assuming. Um, what, what, what's the difference and why would someone want to use a cost seg for that? Yeah, there's a specific rule with regard to short-term rentals, an Airbnb, a vacation rental, where if the average stay is less than seven days and 
you materially participate, even if you have a W-2, but you're spending a minimum of 100 hours a year and more time than anyone else, meaning self-managing it. It's really important. You have to self-manage. You can't have a property manager. Um, then you actually make those losses active. It's a specific rule within the passive loss rules in the tax code that allows the depreciation deductions to become active, meaning you can use them against your W-2 income as well. And so this is, they call it a loophole, but it's not really a loophole because it's actually written in the code. It's just maybe wasn't specifically meant for what it's being used as uh, right now. But regardless, the rule is there and people are using it and applying it. And that's why I mentioned short-term rentals is a great strategy for someone who wants to find a way to reduce their W-2 income through investing in real estate, but uh, is not a real estate professional, you can own and self-manage a short-term rental of Airbnb property, having the average stay of less than seven days, and then do a cost segregation and get those deductions to offset your W-2 income. Well, that's fascinating. So they they have to be actively managing it. Is that correct? They, they can't have a property manager. Now, what about like a, if they have a cleaning service? Does that count as someone else's um, helping manage the property or is that okay if they're hiring someone to help clean? Because I know that's something that's pretty popular with individuals who have Airbnbs. You have to have someone else clean your property. Sure. <laughs> I mean, you don't have to, but I mean, I can't imagine someone having a, you know, a short-term rental and cleaning it themselves. I mean, that's right. just, but no, so yes, that's okay to have a, pro uh, you know, someone clean your property, having a maintenance person there, you know, when things okay. come up. You don't need to do everything yourself. You just need to be, according to the rules, you need to spend more time than anyone else, any other individual. So meaning, and this is usually possible, especially in the first year of ownership where you're spending a lot of time in the acquisition in setting it up, maybe doing some rehab or whatever. And so it's very possible to get that um, when in the first year, when it comes, you know, in future years, when hopefully a lot of things are more streamlined, you're still doing communication. You're still probably, uh, you know, dealing with the vendors, dealing with the cleaning people. Uh, and there, I'm sure there's still going to be more time spent on your property than any other individual, but it does come up, especially when, you know, when you're, you're dealing with someone who's totally kind of has everything automated and, and it's basically the cleaning person is the only one that's doing anything in the property. So that it does come up. Okay. And when, when clients come to you is what's their main goal typically, is it, is it usually they want to try and figure out a way for their W2 income and you have to let them know, Hey, it's, you know, based on if it's active or passive losses. Um, what are people looking for and, and how do you help them? Yeah, it's a very common conversation. I want to make sure that people understand the rules that we just you know set out today, which is like I said, you have to have the the, the passive loss rules apply differently to people, real estate professionals or not. So I want to make sure to communicate that to everyone. But I think the main reason people come to me is they want to lower their income tax. I mean, as simple as it is, they want to figure out a way. If they can do it, uh, then they want to use conservation as a method to, to help lower their income tax, which essentially, I mean, like I said, very early on in, in, in this interview is it's a cash flow mechanism. People who are real estate investors are different than your typical kind of one-off, like a person who buys one property and that's it. And they don't really plan on buying more. Housing is probably not a great tool for them to use. It's just not going to be that beneficial. Whereas someone who their plan is to invest, you know, on a yearly basis and to continue scaling, 
this is a way to scale much faster because when you don't have to pay your biggest expense of the year, which is income tax, then you can actually scale much faster in terms of acquiring more properties. Okay, awesome. Is there something that you usually get asked that a lot of people just don't know about? And maybe it's what we just talked about even, but um, is, mm -hmm. there, is there any questions that you, know, you wish more people knew about when they came to you asking about cost sec? Yeah, there are so many questions that people ask, but the most the, the most common one and the most important thing that I mentioned to everyone is don't assume that your CPA or your tax you know advisor or whatever is knows about this and is dealing with this on your behalf. Because unfortunately, as I've seen time and time again, there are many CPAs out there who are great people, but they're just not necessarily fluent in real estate. And if you are someone who you know, are looking to be more involved in real estate investing, you want to make sure that your CPA is someone that also understands that hopefully invests as well. It's hard to come by, but is an important factor, at least I've seen from uh, people who are going to get the right advice and the right direction when it comes to what, you know, which deductions to use, how to scale faster, et cetera. You want to make sure that your CPA is on board and understands these things. Cool. Um, lastly, as we're starting to wrap up here, I, I like to finish off every, um, every podcast episode with, um, just a question asking about what your why is, why, why do you do what you do? I honestly, I love helping people. It's always been my, what's been driven me from, from very young, you know, whether it's in my teaching career, just helping young people learn, educate themselves, have their own, you know, can make the right choices. But, uh, but even now where I'm helping people save taxes, I mean, to me, I feel like that's really what's driving me is helping other people. And if I can, the more I do this, the more people I help. And I think that's really what it's all about. I love it. You get to help people instead of giving their money to Uncle Sam, they're taking their family out on vacations to, to dinner, to lunch, you know, spending time with the people that, that matter most. 100%. That's awesome. Uh, well, I will put a link to your LinkedIn down below. I will also add your website for you. Um, if there's any other way you'd like uh, someone to contact you, what would that be? I'm pretty active on all the other social channels also, um, except Perfect. for TikTok, you know, but yeah, Twitter, <laughs> Instagram, Facebook, you can find me there as well, but definitely most active on LinkedIn. So if you are there, please let me know by sending a connection request with a little note that you heard me and Paul on this podcast. That would be great. I'd be really grateful. Awesome. And real quick, go ahead. I, I know most people probably know about it if they're listening right now, but uh, plug your podcast. Yeah, you can find the Weiss Advice Podcast anywhere where you listen to podcasts. We interview successful real estate and business owners learning about their uh, their careers, learning about what's gotten to them, where they are. Awesome. Well, I love it, Yona. Thanks so much for uh, taking the time to hop on today. It's been a pleasure. Awesome. Paul. Thank you, Paul.